Welcome into 2 for Drafts. Austin Gale here with my guy, Anthony Tresh, ready to rip it up. 2 for Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today on the pod, we're going to get notables from College Football Team of the Week, notables from the NFL Team of the Week in Week 8. Then we're going to kind of review all of college football, highlight some prospects that perform well, and do the same for rookies in the NFL. And we're going to finish, actually, with a Benjamin Solak interview uh, from the Draft Network. A ton of engaging stuff there. Talk Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Patrick Sertain, uh, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. A lot of fun with Benjamin Solak make sure to tune into that at the end of the podcast uh let's do it Anthony Tresh back with me here on 241 Drafts. Mike Renner officially diagnosed with COVID-19. Mild symptoms. He's going to recover. But until then, it's going to be me and you on the podcast. We'll do the Monday version and the Wednesday episode. Tony, how you living? Pretty good. Yeah, T's and P's to Mike Renner. Uh, hopefully he <laughs> recovers nicely. But yeah, here with you with the stash. You know, we probably walked stash down the, is here. I know if we walked down the street, we'd probably you people would probably think you're my father. Yeah, I mean, I, the stash was an interesting play by me. I don't love it. But I think I'm going to ride with it. You I'm going to ride it. with it. I'm going to ride with it. Gives me uh, new confidence here. The weekend, I said, you know what? Shaving for uh, Mustache November. We got the Mustache out here on the YouTube channel. Uh, the other thing I want to mention, weekend. I got a good story for you. Um, went on a tennis date, which is the first time I've ever done. A little first first date tennis date. She said, let's play tennis. She played tennis in college. I was like, dude, you know what? I'm, I'm in. She ends up whooping me for three sets. It was an absolute slaughter. Like, honestly, I've never played tennis before, really, and I was getting, getting dogged. And then at the end, after what I thought was a fun time, said she doesn't want to hang out with me anymore because I joke too much. Sorry I was making jokes while getting wrecked in tennis. Have you been on a tennis date before or a sport date before? It was it was fun, but at the same time, I don't know if I'll do it again. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever would do that. But that, that <laughs> that's a bold strategy. I mean, I would have investigated to make sure she wasn't, like, a, you know, played in college or something like that yeah, because well, I wouldn't want to lose. But, you know, I, I like the humor. I like I like the funny. I wish I had a good story like that over the weekend, but I kind of took her easy. Yeah, if there's, it was if too there's, many tanked weekends that for me that I needed one off. If there's anything to take from it is you just can't win them all. You know, I know that best. You can't win them all in this league. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into the college football team of the week. If you guys don't know, Anthony Tresh, nicknamed Tony, which the nickname Tony has been morphed into Kadarius Tony. And then now some people just call you Kadarius. And then now they just call you KD. Kadarius Tony being the Florida wide receiver. It's an interesting transgression of how the nickname has gone but i'll just call you tony for today you write the college football team of the week and the nfl team of the week give me some surprises on the college football team of the week some guys that you know really stood out this past week yeah i never thought in my life that i would react to the name Kadarius like it's me but here we, <laughs> here we are but i enjoy it um matt corral the quarterback from Ole miss he was probably if you would have said beforehand this guy's gonna make the team of the week and he's gonna perhaps break a record for pff college for the best single game we've ever had i would have said you're crazy because two weeks ago he threw six interceptions it was one of the worst football games i've ever seen you know from him against arkansas and here he is just you know lit up the field so that was you know kind of good to see but the wide receiver position this one was a tough one to decide because there was a lot of top performers same with quarterback there's a lot of good quarterbacks but uh devonta smith no jalen waddle the guy tore it up as always you know he's he's doing everything that we want him to do, you know, for his draft stock. You know, he's really helping himself there. And Elijah Moore, which we'll get to a little bit later, but this one, this, this game was different than yes. past Elijah Moore. Very different. And then Ricky White, true freshman of the week, um, you know, had a day up there at Michigan State in their upset win. But yeah, those were kind of the notables. But your Aztecs, it was 3 a.m. Sunday morning. I'm sitting there 
grinding out Mountain West football. And I'm watching the San Diego State offensive line, best offensive line of the week. That's that's what we have. Three, you have three of your Aztecs on the offensive line. Our Aztecs, yes. okay, our Aztecs, our the left tackle, left guard, and right tackle on the college football team of the week are all San Diego State Aztecs. You can check out the full list on PFF.com. Some other notables: Devontae Smith, Elijah Moore, uh, Travis Etienne of Clemson. Defensively, mention some names here as well: Patrick Sertan of Alabama, but also Malachi Moore, who look in and of itself a future. Bama defensive back that people are going to be high on, maybe a top 50 pick here in the future. Really big fan of what he put out this past week. Pivoting to the NFL team of the week, Trayvon Diggs made the list. There's a couple other notables. Talk to me about the NFL team of the week. Yeah, we're going to get to Trayvon Diggs later on. I have um, I have a thought on him, but DK Metcalf, he's looking like – I was going through – trying to comb through all the top wide receivers in the NFL, and I was like, is he a top 10 guy? But I, I'm deciding he's a top five wide receiver. I really do think wow. he's that much of a difference maker. And he kind of proved that this past week. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my biggest guy right there. DK Metcalf on the offensive side of the ball. Um, really like Bryce Callahan, not a rookie, you know, a little bit of a veteran there. But I think he's one of the more underrated players in the NFL, what he does in the slot for the Denver Broncos, what he used to do for the Chicago Bears. But yeah, those were probably my, my top two guys there outside of, you know, the, the, of course, the notables, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Donald. Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Donald probably make it every single week. Those guys consistently grade well. I was also I was impressed with Trayvon Diggs, even though, I mean, the two interceptions are great. And those are great for, you know, EPA allowed, all that type of stuff, passer rating when targeted. But you still see the same concerns. Like, it wasn't a new Trayvon Diggs. It was a new Elijah Moore, the Ole Miss wide receiver. It was not a new Trayvon Diggs, a guy that still struggled in single coverage, still getting beat over the top. Even on that touchdown, I feel like the wide receiver kind of gave up, or the interception, I apologize, wide receiver kind of gave up on the play he kind of stayed to it and got the pick which is a great play in itself but still you're not seeing him be this lockdown type that is limiting separation which i think is up there with the most important things limiting separation at the cornerback position regardless of when you're targeted whatever when you're targeted in the end zone because there's other stats that can kind of cloud how talented a cornerback is but limiting separation specifically in single coverage is super important and Trayvon Diggs just hasn't been that guy all right i want to jump into now the college football review because there's a lot of notable names and let's start with elijah moore elijah moore for those who don't know is the Ole Miss wide receiver who plays majority of the slot plays a lot of slot receiver for them but also was moved outside a little bit this past week man looks good i i put in here two slant goes that were awesome i mean this guy's great in separation with the best of them ran two saucy slot fades one was underthrown they didn't get connect on that one but the other one they end up catching the touchdown Quicker than fast. I don't think he's like a flyer, but he can move. He moves in and out of his breaks really well. Good ball skills as well. Strong hands for a smaller receiver. Catches everything thrown his way. Initially, when Elijah Moore was dominating in yards per out run, dominating in PFF receiving grade, and you watch the tape, wasn't super impressed. You could tell a lot of his production was schemed. But now, this past week, kind of, I turned the corner a little bit. I'm getting excited. Yeah, I mean, before every single time I wrote something about Elijah Moore, I'd always say like Lane Kiffin and Elijah Moore because that's essentially what those stats were. But this week completely different Elijah Moore you know you know I, I liked him last year he was kind of tough to bring down after the catch I like that but this time around he actually ran some crisp routes I mean there was a nice little secondary foot fire release that got me excited yes it made me scream there for a little bit but yeah those sluggos too this was you know it came on those slants those screens every other week before this but this week it was a little bit different the Ole Miss offense looked different I don't know what they they almost had had you know Mike secret soft stuff or whatever <laughs> before the game because all of these guys just played out of their minds 92.5 PFF grade for Elijah Moore uh, against Vanderbilt, five foot nine, 185 pound receiver, 14 of 15. So 14 receptions on 15 targets for 238 and three touchdowns. 
Vanderbilt, I will say this too, the defense is bad. The cornerbacks are bad. They were getting beat on the same routes on back-to-back plays. Like it was, it was an ugly look, and these grades obviously aren't opponent-adjusted, but I still think he put on display third-year receiver for Ole Miss. Moving down the list here, got, it's, a, it's primarily offense, by the way. You can talk a little Diami Brown, Tylen Wallace, Kyle Pitts. Only a couple defensive players we'll mention, but jumping into Diami Brown, the UNC wide receiver, bigger body than Elijah Moore, kind of a big body type. I, I go into Diami Brown. I see a lot of contested catches on his tape. But this past week, creating separation on non-double moves. That's another thing you really like to look for in bigger receivers. Can you create separation on a deep out? Can you create separation on a comeback, on a hitch? And you saw that this past week for Diami. I, I was impressed overall with his play. Yeah, I, I still think I would take Daz Newsome over Diami Brown, even though Diami Brown's having the better season. You know, they, they both kind of got off to slow starts because the North Carolina offense, I don't know what happened there. But Phil Longo, Mac Brown, they had this thing very conservative right out the gate. It wasn't until that second half of that Florida State game. And ever since, we've seen the North Carolina offense that we all thought we would see. The mm-hmm. aggressive approach from Sam Howell. You have two great deep threats in Diami Brown, who, you know, that was my best thing, my biggest thing with him is he's great in contested situations. He was 11th in contested catch rate last year, but I still liked Daz Newsom a little bit more. I thought he was better at creating separation. But more you're juice. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he had a nice, nice little rocker step that we saw a lot last year. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a, it was an interesting day and it's kind of, I'm kind of curious to, you know, why is Daz Newsom just being completely left out? I think there's a lot of question marks with this North Carolina offense. We thought Sam Howell was going to take a significant step forward. The offense was conservative to start. Now they're kind of feeding, uh, Diami Brown. He's got 53 targets already this year. Diami Brown has 53 targets, uh, through what? Five, six games. He had 11 receptions on 13 targets for 240 and three touchdowns this past week against Virginia. I was overall impressed. The last catch was probably the most impressive, where he goes up in contested catch situation and just comes down. I think through DPI, that was one where I was like, man, this guy can body guys at six foot one, six foot one, 185. But also, I thought the separation was good. He had a stutter and go early in the game where he created separation. I thought. Pacing is really important when you're not like a true burner. He comes out of the release a little bit slower. You can tell, kind of tell it's at sixty percent, little stutter, and then turns on the jets, creates separations deep down the field. I thought his cuts were sharp, all of that stuff. Sam Howell, though, I will say, I put this in my notes as well. Sam Howell just chucks it to the kid. He sees him in one on one. I stay on him the entire way and just throws it up jump ball situations for Diami Brown. Uh, another receiver. This is the, uh, we got like three or four more on this list. Uh, Devontae Smith. I am. I knew he was going to step up big with Jalen Waddle going down with injury. I think what had 16 targets in this game somewhere around there. I think he has more than enough speed to get open deep, separate deep. And I know people have concerns about his body type. I think he's 180 pounds or even under, and not a 4-4 type. He might break a 4-4, but he's probably going to land in that 4-5 range. But I think he has enough speed to get open deep, can create separation on a vertical route tree, consistent as hell. We talked to Benjamin Solak about this in the interview, which we'll get to later in the pod. But the more and more I watch his tape, the consistency, all of that is super important to me. And I think Devontae Smith... Second round, because he doesn't have the tools of another receiver, like the other receivers in this class, like Jalen Waddell, Jamar Chase, Rondo Moore, I just think it's, it's just too much. You're overthinking it at that point. Turn on the tape. I think this guy's a top 32 player. Oh, I agree. I think he's a top 15 player. You know, I, I've been extremely high on Devonta Smith, and I, I never had too much concerns with his speed. It was more of just kind of, you know, the size issue, but I don't, I'm kind of looking beyond that at that point. I know I don't think that's that big of an issue because he's doing everything else at the position at a very high level. His release package, ball skills, you name it. It's it's been phenomenal. I mean, he's a clear cut without Jamar Chase, no Jalen Waddle. He's a clear cut best wide receiver in college football this year. And you know, I you know too with Mac Jones. You know, I think some people are arguing that they're kind of you know from on both sides of the ball there that 
one's, you know, kind of leaning on the other. You know, Devonta Smith's having all the success because of Mac Jones or Mac Jones having all the success yeah. because of him. <laughs> but I don't think that's the case. I think these two guys are just, you know, they're pretty damn good, mm-hmm. you know, at what they do. And so, you know, I think that's the best quarterback wide receiver connection in college football right now. I would still clearly have Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields over Mac Jones, you know, just in general. But, you know, it's a, it's a pretty lethal Alabama offense they have cooking down there in Tuscaloosa. 11 receptions from 15 targets against Mississippi State for 203 and four touchdowns. Uh, I mean, three force missed tackles after the catch as well. I didn't even bring up the ball skills in my rant on Devontae Smith. I love his ball skills. Catches everything thrown his way. Good in contested catch situations. Strong hands. Everything. You name it. The guy's got it. I, I, I'm a huge fan. All right. Jumping to, I think, two more, three more, four more wide receivers on this list. It was a big, a big week for receivers. And then we'll jump to some other positions. But Tylen Wallace, you know, I have not been a big Tylen Wallace guy. I think a lot of his production is schemed, whether it's double moves or off coverage or going against big 12 disastrous cornerbacks. But this past week, similar to Elijah Moore, it was one of the better games I've seen in his career, not just the season, in his career. Uh, I think he beat on some really bad Texas defensive backs. These guys look like they're running through mud at a certain point, but he's beating them in single coverage, drew multiple DPIs, came down with a handful of contested catches. Tylen Wallace moved up for me this past week. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he moved up because I think I was already pretty high okay, on, okay, on, no, on no, Tylen Wallace. Flex on me, yeah. son. I mean, I liked what he did back in 2018. They used him, I mean, pretty much solely on the vertical route tree, and then they started pumping him some screens last year. I really liked what he showed after the catch because that was kind of the question mark before he tore his ACL, of course. And then this year, I mean, the guy's just winning those contested battles downfield. He's 8 for 12 uncontested targets over 10 yards downfield. Wow. That's pretty. That's a pretty. I mean, they chuck it up to him too, similar to Diami Brown. I mean, it's eleven receptions from uh, fourteen targets in this game, one hundred eighty-seven yards, two touchdowns, an eighty-seven point one PFF grade. This this was quite the week for him. Yeah, I mean, like he he can win those contested battles, but he can. I mean, he can blow past some defensive backs, and you know, I think the biggest concern was, like you said, the Big Twelve defenses. That's the biggest concern, arguably. The best defense in the Big 12 is on his own team at, in Oklahoma State. West Virginia is up. They're pretty good. But outside of those two, it's, it's a pretty significant drop-off. Jumping to Chris Ottman-Bell, wide receiver for Minnesota, wears number 7, six foot one, two fifteen. This past week, in a career-high 85.7 PFF grade on just five, you know, five targets, four receptions, 112 yards, and a TD. I, you know, a lot of people came out of this game, oh, wow, Chris Ottman-Bell, putting him on the list. This is another guy uh, and to kind of consider in this what is a good receiving class. I didn't come away as impressed. He had two nice double moves that still ended up being contested targets. Like, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't burning. He's not a, he can't fly by any means. He was still, people were still catching up to him. Didn't create a ton of separation outside of the slant he had from the slot. I didn't I didn't see an overly fast receiver, an overly athletic receiver. I saw a guy that was good in a handful of contested catch situations that went for touchdowns. I don't know if I'm too low on Ottman Bell after this game. A lot of people highlight him as this breakout candidate. What was your opinion of this past week? I'm right there with you. I mean, I love P.J. Fleck. I think, I mean, he breeds route runners. I think he's one of the best coaches for wide receivers. Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, yes. Ottman Bell. Corey I, Davis. I, Corey Davis. Yeah. So I, I, I will watch Chris Ottman Bell and I, I will continue to monitor him but I'm not going to get too excited yet don't get but, excited yeah I'm not going to get excited there was nothing about that game where I was you know like excited mm-hmm. you know so I'm, I'm going to wait a little bit I'm going to keep an eye on him I wasn't you know too impressed with him you know before this game so I, I I'm not sold yet but I'm going to keep an eye on him all right you know who did get me excited Kadarius Tony. Nicknamed Ooh. after who you're nicknamed after Kadarius Tony, number one for the Florida Gators is a freakish athlete this guy has short area quickness and burst and acceleration that 
just shows up on tape on every route this guy runs. Even when, you know, because everyone loves his yards after the catch ability, and he's averaging 8.2 yards after the catch per reception so far this year, has forced 11 missed tackles already on 22 receptions. I get it. Great after the catch, but watch this guy before the catch. Create separation with ease on the like the route tree that they ask him to do is very gadgety, for lack of a better term. But still, there's this route that they run. So you get pre-snap motion. Looks like a classic flat route coming from the receiver when he's like kind of taking advantage of that momentum on a pre-snap motion. Just just one cut leaves number, uh, Missouri number one in the dust and goes for a touchdown like that. Those movement skills are rare. I think his usage is still low. Only six targets, four receptions for 60 yards and two TDs in this game. But bump the volume up from a target perspective and let him run a normal route tree. Like, he doesn't have to be a gadget player for you. I think Tony can be, like, a legit wide receiver in this class. I, I think he is a legit wide receiver <laughs> in this class. And, you know, I, I think he's, you know, vastly improved on his route running for sure. I mean, you mentioned some of the numbers from this year. I mean, over the last two years, he has caught 32 passes, thir- or 23 broken tackles, averaging nearly 12 yards after the catch. You, you just put the ball in this guy's hands and let him go to work. I, I love Kadarius Tony. I can't move like him. We may share the same name, but I wish I could because I not many humans can you know can evade tackles the way he does. That one, right? It looked like they were going to rip his head off, and he somehow came out of it on that one touchdown this past weekend. I mean, it was it was incredible. So I I think he is more. I think he is a legit wide receiver in this class. He's not top 100 in our big board, but I think by the end of the season, mm-hmm. once it comes, you know, March April. That guy's going to be in there. At least I hope he is. Definitely encourage everyone to check out the big board on PFF.com, by the way. Mike Renner recently updated it with the top 100, and it has that. You can drop down to see more more, uh, analysis on each player. There's three-year grades in there, 2018, 2019, and 2020 at the collegiate level. Encourage you guys to check that out on PFF.com. One more receiver. I I know it's been a receiver-loaded podcast, but David Bell. The Purdue wide receiver for uh, that kind of had a, had a good game this past week. A lot of people, I saw some people saying he's better than Rondell Moore. I kind of wanted to throw my computer out the window. I refuse, by the way. I am not. I'm not middling, sitting on a fence here. Rondell Moore is not, is a better receiver than David Bell, uh, hand, hands down. I, I know David Bell had a lot of production in 2019 and even this past week, nine receptions on 10 targets for 122 and a touchdown. But in my notes, first few things I mentioned, so much off coverage. Uh, even on the deep the deep ball that he had early, it was off coverage, and the DB played the ball terribly. Off coverage slant, off coverage crosser, off coverage crosser. I'm not going to look at production and be excited about it with what he had in the it, really in the first half. After that, you saw that you know the team they were going against play a lot more man coverage and, and going against press. Very impressive hitch route for him, and then there was a go route towards the end that I thought was good. Still bodied on a slant, drew a DPI late that I think was questionable. I, I'm interested to see what people think about David Bell moving forward. But this game, similar to Ottman Bell, more hype than actual you know, meat and potatoes in terms of like moving his stock. I think he's kind of like a glorified Seth Williams. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. he's not going to generate separation. But I think if you, you throw him one downfield you know, with his body control, I mean, that's, that was his bread and butter last year. The mm-hmm. Purdue quarterback situation with uh, Jack Plummer and Aiden O'Connell last year wasn't all that great, still not all that great. And he snagged a lot of off-target inaccurate balls. And he's a good complimentary piece to Rondell Moore. I, I have no idea if those people were being serious. I hope they were be, they were joking because Rondell Moore is a significantly better wide receiver than David Bell. But I will say he's looking stronger at the catch point he is than this year than he was last year as a true freshman. So that was kind of the one thing I was looking forward to. But I think he's a good complimentary piece. Definitely not better than Rondell Moore. But if Purdue actually had a quarterback and Rondell Moore is on the field with David Bell, I think that would be a very good offense. Very good. 
Very good Purdue. They don't hear that a lot there yeah, in Purdue. Exactly. That's interesting. Just the all right. Drew Brees. Uh, a couple more names we'll mention all on the defensive side of the ball. I want to, don't have to dive into it deep, but I thought Patrick Sertan and Dylan Moses, the two Alabama defensive players, played well this past week. That's good tape to turn on for both of those guys. But the name I want to get in detail with, in detail is not a phrase, in depth. Maybe that's not a phrase either. Sean Wade of Ohio State, a guy that I wrote about entering this year when it was originally expected that he was not going to play another down at Ohio State due to COVID, uh, to COVID-19 impacting the Big Ten season. He's playing. He's playing shadow coverage at outside corner. And this past week against Dotson, Jahan Dotson, third-year player for Penn State, did not look good. It was an ugly performance. We talked about it with Benjamin Solak at the end, and he's a big Sean Wade fan, so I encourage you to listen to that. But my thought was, toasted a handful of times where he Jahan Dotson was creating clear separation from press. Everyone wants to bring up the, the, the catch at the end where he had like kind of three fingers on it, contested catch. I thought that was OPI. I'm throwing that one out the window. I don't really care about that one. The one I do care about or the routes I do care about is where Dotson is beating him in press for separation on slants and inside routes. That is what concerned me with Wade. He also wasn't physical. I know you want to talk about that. Yeah. And, you know, like last year, that was his the best part, you know, was how physical he was. You know, the press technique, you didn't see a lot of it in the slot, of course, but it was a little suspect. You know, we weren't really sure about that. We thought he had the physical tools to succeed out there. But I am very concerned with Sean Wade after this one. I mean, he allowed six catches on eight targets of 119 yards, two touchdowns. The other four catches were first downs to Jahan Donson. No plays on the ball. And you mentioned it. He really wasn't all that physical. You know, and he really should have been because he's a lot bigger than Jahan Donson. Yeah. He's, what, five, I mean, he's got the skills to be physical. He's got exactly. the recovery speed, all that stuff. Exactly. And, you know, the, the press technique was just, it was not all the way there. And I know, you know, you, when you're transitioning from the slots to the outside and you have that in, impacted offseason, that obviously is going to play a part. And I don't think he's going to be, you know, all of a sudden like, oh, he's falling out down draft boards after this one. I think he can work his way back. But this is a big red flag and he can't afford to have another one of these days. I mean, no single game is going to like completely dumpster fire a prospects thing, but it's a body of work. And if you see Jahan Dotson and other outside receivers beating him to a pulp like this game, I think he has to see it as a concern. I mean, even Solak brings up uh, later in the podcast on that interview is, you know, there is a chance that if you see more tape like this, that he's more considered a, a move kind of chess piece playing in the slot and, and not so much outside corner. However, the, t- the tail of the tape really is the combine and outside corners, receiver, edge defender. You need to see three cone. You need to see 40. You need athletes at those positions. If you're going to draft them in the first round, the combine will be big. And there's, Sean there's nothing wrong with just being a slot corner. I mean, that it is a very underappreciated position on the yes. defensive side of the ball. Very underpaid, but it's still right there. One of the most valuable positions. I mean, slot corners field. start in the NFL. That's not even like, that's not even a take anymore. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. I think what only three teams don't play 11 or uh, smaller personnel uh, more than 50% of snaps. Like everyone's playing three wide receiver sets, three and four wide receiver sets. And even the teams that are playing 12 have receivers at tight end. Guys that are like are legit creating separation and running legitimate routes. All right, we're going to pivot to the NFL now. Talk a little NFL action, some rookies that performed well this past week. I got to bring them up. I turn on the tape every single week because he's a stud. Michael Onwenu, rookie uh, offensive lineman. I can't say guard or tackle. Rookie offensive lineman for the New England Patriots is a machine. He played right tackle this past week due to injuries. Has played guard most of the season. Has played three positions along the offensive line. And this past at right tackle played extremely well. Bodied kids had a double pancake block on uh, when he was getting pulled outside. Uh, looked really good, man. I mean, he's not, gave up I think one pressure on a stunt or whatever it was. Um, I, I really do like Michael Onwenu. I, I think he's lost weight, and that was the biggest concern. He was a big dude coming out of Mississippi State or whatever it was. I think it was Mississippi State, Michigan, Michigan. Big dude coming out of Michigan. And he looks sloppy because of it. He's just fat. I mean, he's just big. And he's lost some weight, and now his feet look better. And honestly, best rookie offensive lineman up there with some of the best young offensive linemen in the NFL right now. 
Yeah, I mean, there's not too many rookies. Like, I mean, right now, as we enter into week nine, that I'm confident in saying, like, this is going to be, he's going to be a starter in the NFL, quality starter, a very good player that you want to keep on your team. I, I'm confident in Michael and Linu was, was saying that because of, you know, that versatility and staying good. And, you know, he, his worst plays so far leading up to this point were when he was in pass protection at right tackle. But this week, he looked a lot better. In yes. That. He was, he was uh, right around the top 10, close to it, uh, among all right tackles and pass block grade this past week. I, you know, I was, I'm really optimistic in his playing future, and he's going to be, you know, pe- people aren't going to recognize him as the biggest deal of the draft. You're probably going to get someone in that second, third round, you know, some flashy skill position player. But I think he is going to be the biggest deal in the draft, you know, down the road. Biggest steal in the draft. Yes. I like that call. I like that call. Another offensive lineman I'll bring up who was starting at right guard this past week for the Minnesota Vikings, Ezra Cleveland. I'll say this first, far and away better than Drew Samia, and it's not close. And I think, I still think, so he graded well this past week. He had a couple second-level blocks, sprung Dalvin Cook loose a couple of times, and wasn't an atrocity in pass protection, which is a breath of fresh air for any Vikings fan that's been watching the right guard position so far this season. But I will say this, as good as he looked, I still think he should definitely be the starter for as long as he's healthy. Strength is still a concern. And when you get kicked inside that phone booth and you start going against the big uglies, that is where you start to see him get kind of outmuscled by a Lancaster or, some, or Dean Lowry or whoever was down there for Green Bay. I think he needs to get stronger. He needs to eat a lot more food. But for how young he is and where he, playing guard after playing tackle at Boise State, I think this is an overall solid performance for Ezra Cleveland, one of which that I think keeps him as the starter for as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, I think he should because – I mean, truth to me, it's not that good. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, Ezra Cleveland, I, I'm I'm still going back to that week six against Atlanta because that was a very concerning. He saw way more pass blocking opportunities in that one. 43 pass block snaps that game, just 18 this past week. 27.5 pass block grade. That, you know, that, that's what's kind of yeah keeping me, you know, this was a good performance. I, I will agree. This was a great performance from him. But I, I'm still going to, um, I'm, I'm going to be cautious with my words on Ezra Cleveland, you know, with, with my confidence in him moving forward. We woke up this morning, therefore, we have to have the debate, Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert. It seems like every day we have to talk about it. Every single week you have to bring up, is Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert playing better? And I said on the podcast last week, I thought Justin Herbert is having the better season so far. He graded better. Joe Burrow has taken over. This past week looked very, very good against a what I think is a good Tennessee Titans defense. I, I mean, there's definitely some concerns here and there, but I think the Tennessee Titans defense isn't, isn't a slouch, especially going against a Bengals offensive line that was without four starters. Jonah Williams didn't play in this game. Michael Jordan didn't play in this game. Bobby Hart, Trey Hopkins, they were without four starters along the offensive line. And Joe Burrow, under pressure and when kept clean, still looked very good. Had the better week this past week. I think of all rookie quarterbacks so far this year, the four best single-graded games are Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, and then Justin Herbert. Am I wrong to think Justin Herbert's still playing well or or better than Joe Burrow? Where are you at right now in this debate? Yes, I I do think that. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I, he looked like Joe Cool. He looked like LSU Joe Burrow this past, past week with the way he maneuvered the pocket. I mean, it, it was reminiscent of some of the throws that we all fell in love with. It looks like LSU Joe Burrow. Like, yeah, this was exactly. it. Exactly. This is, and I think, you know, the way he's playing right now, he has an 86.3 big PFF passing grade when kept clean. Justin Herbert, 77.1, which it's good compared to what we've seen in the past from other rookies, but I'm taking Joe Burrow 10 times out of 10 right now. If you said... You need you have one quarterback. You need to win a game. I'm picking Joe Burrow over Justin Herbert. And you know, you, Justin Herbert has those highlight reel throws, but I'm I'm going throw for throw, and mm-hmm. Joe Burrow's getting me throw for throw consistency. I mean, Steve, I think said it best on the NFL podcast, and I listened to that this morning. Um, Joe Burrow has the stake. Justin Herbert has the sizzle. He has the high end, the big plays that I think everyone has 
a lot of people excited about Justin Herbert. But Joe Burrow, while he doesn't have the sizzle, so to speak, this deep ball that really looks all that great, he's still way more consistent than Justin Herbert is so far. And even in that stuff, zero to 19 yard throws where Joe Burrow is a top three graded passer is much more stable than where Justin Herbert is grading well, which is third downs, under pressure, deep down the field. That That is just not as stable as being as accurate and as consistent as Joe Burrow has been from zero to 19 yards. I, it, it's a toss up for me now. I think Joe, they're both grading similarly, but if you had, so my take on Justin Herbert was that he was having a better rookie season. But if you take the take to who do you feel more confident about going into next year and the year after that, I think it has to be Joe Burrow. He's okay. grading better in the more stable areas uh, of the game. All right. Two receivers I'll bring up, T. Higgins and Brandon Ayuk. T. Higgins is Joe Bur- one of Joe Burrow's favorite targets. He loves throwing to that guy. I think he does a lot, a lot of... Uh, a lot of good things on the scramble drill. When Joe Burrow is kind of scrambling out, T. Higgins does a really good job of working back to the football. Still not creating a ton of separation, but the hands, the contested catches, I think are impressive. Brandon Ayuk, on the other hand, the Arizona State receiver who now plays for the San Francisco 49ers, I was not super high on Ayuk coming out. Explosive, but I thought very raw as a route runner. We'll see how it develops. He looked good against Seattle this past week. I think uh, Brandon Ayuk is tape I'm going to turn back on and, and be happy about if I'm uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, you know, with T. Higgins, he's never going to be a guy that creates separation. He, that's just not going to be him. He's going to win in tight coverage. In this past week, he finally won in tight coverage consistently. You know, going back, you know, to those previous uh, seven weeks, that's where he kind of struggled. And he, there was kind of some, there's, there was a few times where I kind of thought he got, was getting pushed around when he shouldn't have. But this time, he had three contested catches. I was really, really high on T. Higgins because of that and his, you know, top notch ball skills and, you know, the highlight reel throws. I always go back, you know, I forget what game it was with the uh, sideline, the one-hander. I mean, it should have been an incomplete pass. I think T. Mm-hmm. Higgins was the only you know wide receiver in college football that could have ever caught that kind of ball. You know, I think that's the kind of re- receiver they're going to get from here on out. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, yeah, I, I, this guy, I know he was probably, is he your top rookie of the week? And you're, you're hyping up a lot. I like Brandon Ayuk, man. I, I think he looked really good against Seattle. I, 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 he was creating separation against single coverage concepts. There was some off coverage there. It looked very good after the catch. I think the speed... It stands out when you're a rookie and you look on par, if not better, from a speed and athleticism perspective than the guys you're going against. And Seattle doesn't have like world-class defensive backs, especially with Jamal Adams out. But I still thought it was really impressive how much he stood out on the football field. I definitely encourage you guys to go back and when Game Pass eventually loads it up, watch uh, Brandon Ayuk's All-22 because it looks good. Uh, one more offensive player, and then I kind of want to touch on just an overall, like what's been just an underwhelming defensive rookie class, I think largely because of the abbreviated offseason, no preseason. Playing defense in the NFL is hard. Playing defense as a rookie is even harder. And then you throw in the fact that they don't have preseason games uh, made things all more difficult. But before we get there, J.K. Dobbins. He's not getting the lion's share of touches. With Even with Mark Ingram out, Gus Edwards, Gus Buss uh, is running the rock there. But J.K. Dobbins, when given the football, looks awesome. His, his force miss tackle ability, his explosiveness, his acceleration, I think the vision is good as well. What's been your opinion of Dobbins? He's one of my favorite rookie running backs right now. Yeah, I mean, he's been producing at an unreal level right now for a rookie. As you said, evading tackles and on the few you know catches he will have, you see it there too. You know, he has 12 broken tackles on 40 carries this year. And I think the biggest takeaway, he has eight explosive runs of 10 or more yards on 40 carries. I mean, that is a really impressive rate, whether, you know, you're a five-year veteran or if you're a rookie. So, I mean, I'm really, you know, I wish he would get, you know, and Benjamin Solak, he mentions this a lot too. You know, he wants uh, J.K. Dobbins to get the ball. I want him to get the ball too because I, I think he, yeah, I don't, all right, running backs don't really matter that much, but he's mm-hmm. just one of those uh I, I know you like the saying, fun guys to watch. Yeah, he's fun to watch. Yeah. With Dobbins, I mean, with the running backs don't matter conversation, I was actually talking to Eric Eager 
during the game last night, um, the data scientist here at PFF, a really smart dude, encourage you to follow him, PFF underscore Eric. Talking about running backs don't matter. This season has been very much uh, evidence of that with James Robinson having success, Justin Jackson, Josh Kelly having success with Austin Eckler out, um, you know, Mike Davis of Carolina. But I don't think the conversation has been that loud on Twitter. People aren't like screaming every time James Robinson scores or screaming when Tony Pollard spells Ezekiel Elliott well. But what I think that the take is, and I mentioned your, your take on this, all of the running backs in the NFL are very good. Like it's hard to be bad at the position if you're an athlete and drafted to play running back in the NFL. Who, with that take said, is the worst running back in the NFL getting 10, 10 carries a game on average? Oh. And why is it Todd Gurley? <laughs> like yeah. I think Todd Gurley is, is playing not even as good a football as Brian Poole. Oh, not Brian Poole, sorry. Brian Hill, the former Wyoming running back. I don't think uh, Adrian Peterson's playing all that well. Frank Gore is, is obviously not super talented. The Le'Veon Bell revenge tour resulted in, what, one point yards per carry. The older backs are those ones that you're not seeing the same juice from in the NFL while these younger guys, regardless of who the name may be, James Robinson, Joshua Kelly, Justin Jackson, um, it, it, they're the ones who are having success right now. Who? Okay, maybe it's not Todd Gurley for you. Who's the worst running back in the NFL? I think this year we have to go with Zeke. Zeke? I, I think oh, my Zeke. goodness. I think it's Zeke, and I'm probably going to get ridiculed for that. But, I mean, look at the five fumbles. He's averaging, Fumbles are big, too. Exactly. I mean, I mean, he's not producing explosive runs. And obviously, you know, everyone will point. The offensive line's went bad. That's that's the essential you know, key to running back success. So, yeah. So, but he has not been doing his fair share. And, you know, like with running backs don't matter. It's a little bit different at the college level, too, because, like, you know, we hype up Travis Etienne and, you know, he's high on a lot of our player rankings. You know, he's one of the better players in college football, you hear us say, because the talent discrepancy is so massive yes. when you have a freak like the Travis Etienne. The athleticism discrepancy, yeah. like, he's, like, rare. He, like, looks rare on the football field. Exactly. When you have Travis Etienne, you know, as a receiver against Boston College, you know, that right there, that's how you generate value. So it's a little bit different at the college level, but I think – Going back to your question, I, I probably have to roll with Zeke because of those fumbles. I mean, it's just been it's been a really atrocious, and I think we need to see more Tony Pollard. I, I I had this take before the year that he's going to be you know kind of in the same situation as Todd Gurley was with the Rams. I think that's what's going to happen with Zeke, and it kind of blows my mind that I, I still don't understand how the front office allowed to let Byron Jones walk, but pay this man what they did. Yeah. Imagine if they kept Byron Jones this year. I mean, still, they would probably be bad with mm -hmm. everything. But, I mean, that's a pretty pretty uh, stark difference between the two and so far as uh, generating value. Where are you taking Travis Etienne in the 2021 NFL draft? Oh, um... What's the highest you'd take him? Depends on the team, but I don't... I, I mean, if you're like a championship-quality team, you have every single position filled, maybe the third round. Oh, Maybe nice, the nice. third round. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you are going with that. No, that I'm was, not that, going first. That was the same argument for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, if you have a championship calendar team, he's just that missing piece. Are you kidding? And it, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been good, but I'm saying, I'm not saying, I think they would have been better off attacking another position. Even as bad as rook, defensive rookies have been this year, adding talent at more valuable positions that make more money on their second contract is always the valuable decision in the first round. I, I think for Travis Etienne, I can get on board at the back end of the second. Okay, on the back at the back end of the Ooh. second. But if you're if you're drafting Travis Etienne in the first round, I just don't see the value as good as good as Travis Etienne is. And he's the best running back in this class. He was the best running back in the last year's class. I still don't think you're going to get enough value out of him if you draft him in the first round as good as he is. All right, let's jump to the defense side of the ball. A couple of names here, and then we'll close out the podcast and talk to Benjamin Solak. Rookie corners have not been playing well. 
Rookie linebackers have not been playing astound- you know, astounding. Two names we'll bring up. We talked about Trayvon Diggs a bit. Jeffrey Okuda had a better game this past week. Where are you at with rookie corners? Who do you feel confident in? Who do you not feel confident in? We're eight weeks into the season now. What are some takeaways on this rookie cornerback class? Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see Trayvon Diggs have the game he did on Sunday night ever again. <laughs> From I, a grading perspective, yeah. No. I don't think we he was our rookie of the week. He made the PFF team of the week. He had two good interceptions, but he did still get burnt on a couple of plays to Travis Holgem. That first 32-yard catch he gave up, that was that was really really bad. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not confident really in Trayvon Diggs. You know, I'm still holding out hope for Jeff Akuda just because of those physical tools. I mean, he was, you know, you know, he was Michael Michelangelo's David at the cornerback position. You know, yeah. if you crafted a perfect guy, that's him. But I ha- I have an intriguing question for you. Knowing like what we know now, would you rather have Jeff Akuda or Jalen Johnson for the rest of their NFL career? Jeff Akuda. Knowing what we know now, I'd still stick with Jeff Akuda because the tools are what's stable. The, the athleticism is what's stable. Performing well in press and performing well from a yards per coverage snap standpoint is descriptive, but not always as predictive as legitimate athleticism, size, length at the cornerback position. It's why traits matter. It's why you know drafting is largely looking at the best athletes and taking them highly in the draft. That's why guys like Rashawn Gary go very high despite bad production and other guys, you can mention a thousand guys of that level. But Jalen Johnson has exceeded expectations. And I was a huge fan of him as well. I still think Jeffrey Akuda figures it out. I think he has... He has, in my opinion, better tools and a better profile to be a shadow corner in the future, a guy that can follow guys into the slot and outside. He hasn't been that yet, but I think he has a better projection to do that. While Jalen Johnson, I think, will always be an outside corner that does can't really be a shadow corner inside, has to play different coverage schemes and things. But I think Jalen Johnson, Jeffrey Kuda over Jalen Johnson. And I apologize for saying that because I'm a big Jalen Johnson fan, but here we are. I, I think it's, you know, kind of imagine going back in April and saying, you know, middle of the season, we we're having this conversation. Would you rather have Jeff Akuda or Jalen Johnson? <laughs> well, your mind would go so many different directions. Yes. What's going on with this? But yeah, I mean, overall, the cornerback class has not been that great. Patrick Queen had a huge stop in, in this game for the Pittsburgh Steelers late, and I thought it was really, really impressive. But overall, Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray, Jordan Brooks have not graded well, and all of them have played decent snaps so far this year. Jordan Brooks, probably the lower end of that. He's not a starter for the Seattle Seahawks. But with those three linebackers, the first thing I noticed with all of them is that they're just slow to the ball. The they're not anticipating, they're not anticipating things or you know seeing things come through like they were at LSU with Patrick Queen or at Oklahoma. And the be, the reason I say this is because Queen and Murray, the, the two best things they were good at is as soon as the ball was snapped, they're flying to it, firing off on the ball, really instinctive, really fast. However, we're not seeing that this year. I don't think you can really write the book or or you know close it with Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray. But I think it's important to describe that. This abbreviated offseason, no preseason football has really impacted the play of rookie linebackers. Yeah, and you know, I I thought these this group of linebackers were a little bit overvalued. You know, I, I thought teams were kind of you know attacking need a little too early and being a little too aggressive in that. And but I, I had a little bit higher expectations than what they've been playing at right yes. now. I mean, Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray, they both have had you know one good game where we kind of thought maybe they're going to start to piece it together, and that hasn't been the case. So, I mean, it, I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, Willie Gay Jr., it's been a very small sample, just over 100 snaps, but he's probably been the best off-ball linebacker in the class. And if you're going, if you have to say, you know, which off-ball linebacker and which cornerbacks impressed me the most, I, we only, we've only seen LeJarrius Sneed for, I mean, a, a couple of games. Yeah. But I would say it's been those two. It's That's where it comes back to development, though, man. The fact yeah. that Willie Gay was in position to make that play on play action behind his head, I, I put it on Twitter, it's a really impressive play, is development, in my opinion. The fact that Lajarius Sneed was able to start as a rookie outside corner 
and play as well as he did it's got to be development and coaching like you that is not drafting well i can't i can't get on board with and i like willie gay as a prospect but at a certain point the coaches are putting these guys in a position to succeed preparing these players for the big stage you can't say the same thing about other a lot of other franchises in the nfl right now if you're watching on youtube this is the end of the podcast you don't get that opportunity to listen to the ben solak uh uh, interview that we had with him but if you are listening wherever you find your podcast we're going to now jump to the benjamin solak interview it's been great austin gale and anthony trash Two for One Drafts is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction. Signed helmets, balls, jerseys, and much more. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well-equipped to help provide you with daily workouts that will help you reach reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co.com.co. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Joining the two for one drafts podcast is none other. One of my favorite follows on Twitter. I have to say drops a lot, a lot of good video content. The banter is solid. The sarcasm is solid. He doesn't get into enough beefs. In my opinion, I want to see him going toe to toe with some of the other analysts on Twitter, but you know, you can't win them all in this league, but Benjamin Solak of the draft network, Ben, great to have you on the pod. Yeah, no, my, it's a, uh, it's all peace and love over here, man. I don't get into it with anybody. <laughs> Nobody gets into it with me. And that way, when I've got Hakeem Butler takes from 2018, nobody drags him up. So he can't, nobody's mad at me. That's how that goes. <laughs> it's all peace and love publicly. The DMs though, uh, everyone's got beef with you, Ben. I hate to say it. There's a bunch of DMs where your name's getting dragged across the coals. Um, Wanted to open up here and talk about the 2021 quarterback class. I think everyone has pegged these the kind of the big three of what I've been calling it. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. But after that, there is this kind of competition for QB4 and QB5. Some people are throwing Mac Jones into the mix, Kyle Trask. Um, even Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati has been thrown into the mix. I, I really like you know a, a ton of those names. I think um, Zach Wilson of BYU is another name. But start, start, who are you leaning right now for QB4? Yeah, I was worried you weren't going to say Zach Wilson there. We were going to have to have a conversation. Uh, Wilson, the Mormon Manziel, is, I mean, the the natural talent has always been likable. Wilson's been on NFL radars for a couple of years now. But what we've got right now, 
from his performance with BYU. BYU's got a solid offensive line. They've got a couple of probably NFL caliber UDFA rosterable wide receivers. What they're getting in terms of their downfield passing game out of Wilson is really a, a testament to the consistency that he's gotten year over year, the growth. He's really smoothed out a lot of his rough edges on. So throw on the move deep accuracy the natural talent's always been there off platform he makes a ton of ridiculous throws you're obviously going to oh this is like a Patrick Mahomes throw because that's the only thing people ever say with throw on the move anymore um but he's got that ability uh to just very naturally hit it in stride from weird arm angles and from weird platforms so his natural talent puts him in a conversation in my opinion with Trey Lance at the bottom of that quarterback three conversation obviously with Lance you only get the one game against Central Arkansas this year you've only got one season of FCS play so you can argue Lance has been more productive you can argue he's been more talented and I'll agree with you but you're not going to have the same amount of beta the same amount the, the the depth of of conflict and experience and come from behind wins that NFL teams want you're not going to get that with Lance whereas Wilson's kind of got a few more years under his belt uh, so he's my guy for QB4. I'm not in it on Trask. I'm very suspicious of this. I think he's got a lot of really good weapons, and he's just you know doing his, a good job getting out of the way. Uh, Ritter is wildly inconsistent. He had such a good game against Memphis. He always suckers me back in. Uh, so I, I like him, but I, I have to you know watch myself with a player like Ritter. Mac Jones, to me, is, is the clear QB5. Vertical ball. Oh, I don't know if there's somebody in college football who throws it better than Mac Jones does. He can put that thing on a spot down the field. And he's got the receivers to do it, obviously. But that's an important throw for the NFL level. Uh, so Mac Jones, I think, is my favorite guy out of that group. But Wilson has clearly, I think, put himself in, in that second tier with Lance. Ben, I think we're going to be pretty good friends here with the uh, Trask take yeah. there. Yeah, I, I need to take your advice on the, uh, the love and peace aspect of Twitter. <laughs> yeah it's it's the thing is like I, I get why there's so much excitement with Cal Trask and the narrative is really really fun obviously every SEC team was going to be primed this year for finding the next borough but Trask is just he's executing right now it's not wrong with that but there's nothing too laudable about that either I mean Anthony Tresh is out here getting dogged getting called he's 12 years old for saying Cal Trask the system is largely propping up his production but if you turn on the tape he has not graded well for PFF so far this year. Has you know been inconsistent in some spots. It's the accuracy that's a concern. He's not making a ton of big downfield throws when you compare him to a Mac Jones. Even Jarrett Deggy of West Virginia is grading out better than him, and he's been as consistent as hell. I'm glad you brought up Desmond Ritter because I think Desmond Ritter here in Cincinnati. There's a lot of people that are big fans, but the consistency is always going to be a concern. Something to throw your way though with Desmond Ritter. There is not a bigger trash talker in college football than Desmond Ritter. You talk to the guys here in Cincinnati, they say his best, one of his best traits is this guy can rip it with anybody, talks trash with the best of them. Um, I, I really like Zach Wilson of BYU as that QB4. Mac Jones is QB5. I think I can get on board with that. Do you think, how many of these guys do you think go in the first round? You know, because I think this is a very good quarterback class so much that you could see Zach Wilson enter the first round conversation. Mac Jones enter the first round conversation. Where are you with these guys being inside the top 32 picks? Yeah, it's there's a bit of a chicken and egg going on here because it feels like a lot more teams could draft a quarterback this year. It feels mm -hmm. like it's a very QB needy year. But also the quarterback class is really good. And when the quarterback class is really good, that inherently makes teams more likely to draft quarterbacks just because they're good players. And obviously that's an important position. So you want to see how the dust settles. You know what I mean? Like, uh, is Atlanta really going to draft a guy to sit behind Matt Ryan for at least a whole year contract wise? You know, like, there's a lot of questions that have to get answered with various teams. I'd be surprised if we see fewer than four. Uh, and you've got, I think, you know, barring a shocking Lawrence Fields or Wilson return to school, mm -hmm. 
assuming those four come out, I think all four of those guys are, are first round players. You look at what happened in 2018 with a class that, in my opinion, after Kyler Murray was just not a good draft. Or 2019? 2019. It was just yeah. not a good draft. Uh, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke. We had four quarterbacks go in the top 45 picks. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that was a, a, an example of a poor class, and we nearly made it to four. So I think four is your floor. And then, yeah, potential with Mac Jones, Ritter, Spencer Sanders, you know, a bunch of talented guys maybe sleep, uh, sneaking into that at fifth spot. Uh, well, maybe if we get there, we get there. But four would be my guess. I mean, I think that sets up, though, a, a really good second round of quarterbacks, guys that maybe you're not committed to drafting in the first round, but you want to maybe bring uh, bring on the bench. Maybe Atlanta goes quarterback in the second round. Some of those teams that still have veteran quarterbacks they want to sit. Staying at the quarterback position, it's been a constant debate here in Cincinnati, largely because Joe Burrow is everyone's favorite player here in Queen City, but also Joe Burrow was number one overall player on PFF's board early in the season in the process. He has the highest graded single season of any quarterback, according to PFF, at the collegiate level. Talk to me about Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert. Steve Palazzolo on the PFF NFL podcast said, Herbert has the sizzle. He has the high end. He has the big plays, the big arm. He looks pretty, all of that. Joe Burrow has the steak, though, the meat and potatoes. He's a top three graded passer on throws 19 or fewer yards downfield. More consistent from an accuracy perspective. Looks good under pressure and from a clean pocket. Where are you on these two quarterbacks right now through week eight? Yeah, good. And thank God. <laughs> That's awesome because that Justin Herbert evaluation was tough, man. We we watched that kid for three seasons trying to figure out what he was going to be. And, and and I went full circle on Herbert. I ended up fairly high on him. Glad that he's playing well. And then Burrow, one-year starter on the one of the best rosters ever put together. That was also a scary one. You know, I had a real high grade on Burrow. And you're worried about him in the league. So thank God both of them are good. Very different players being asked to do very different things uh you know justin herbert makes a lot of the plays happen for the chargers he, he relies a ton on keenan allen to be his stick mover and then other than that i mean he's big play hunting and, and appropriately so with his arm talent with his natural feel for for downfield windows and his ability to extend burrow on the other hand couldn't get a big play if he tried because protection's not gonna hold up but he understands what, where his limitations are and he's very very effective inside that currently limited offense and as that roster improves around him i think there's a chance that it's only going to get better if we're talking offensive rookie of the year, Herbert has the sizzle, and that's where you know the media is going to go. That's what draws the voters, man. You got to have the sizzle to draw on the voters. That's why I never won class president, man. I didn't have the sizz. Right, offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. So I was like, all right, who's going to put up a lot of stats that are very easy to understand? Bang, that's it. <laughs> um, so I, I think they're both doing very impressive things. They're both playing behind rough offensive lines too, and I think that their ability to deal with pressure and their offensive coordinators' understanding of how rookie quarterbacks usually deal with pressure. pressure it's been very, very impressive, um, but they're, they're divergent. They're going to, I think, both be successful throughout their rookie contract. I think they're both going to be successful quarterbacks in the league based off what we've seen, but they're going to do it in different ways. And, and you could argue that with the developmental track that Herbert has, given how much he struggled in college, given how much big play potential he has, there's a higher ceiling there, but not unlike you know Steve pointed to. There's probably a higher floor with Burrow, who just makes such good decisions and is so comfortable in those quick, rapid response pressure situations that he's always going to be able to buoy a potentially struggling roster. Yeah, so Ben, you talked about the quarterback class, but this next year's wide receiver class, it could be even better than last year's, and some people are saying it's one of the best in NFL draft history. Coughing up a lung here. Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith versus Jalen Waddle is where he was going at. I hope that's not COVID. Either Holy way, Devontae shit. Smith versus Jalen Waddle. Waddle obviously out for the season with an ankle injury, but Devontae Smith stepped up in his shoes. He's looked really good this past week. Where are you on those two right now? Yeah, talk about divergent players, right? 
Like you might, you might throw both of them a slant, but you're throwing Devonta Smith a slant because you're getting 10 yards 100% of the time. You're throwing Jalen Waddle a slant because you're getting 90 yards 10% of the time. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're looking for different things with those targets. It's a really interesting conversation about talent versus, you know, I, I should say, you know, position-based skill versus athletic-based skill, right? Devonta mm-hmm. Smith is going to weigh in, in in a concerning bracket he's going to come in as a potentially sub 180 pound wide receiver. So unless he becomes T Y Hill and Emmanuel Sanders or John Brown, that is not a favorable projection for the modern NFL. Then you watch the film and no college receiver has been as consistent, as successful also in such a crowded room as Devonta Smith. And it's because mm-hmm. of the trust that quarterbacks have in him to be on the spot on time, catch the football through contact, catch the football in open space and maximize. He, he there is, rarely a wasted route or a wasted target on Devonta Smith's film. That's very, very important. And we're talking about possession receivers, talking about stick movers, like I said about Keenan Allen. Devonta Smith has Jalen Waddle by a head and a shoulder there. If we get out of the Keenan Allen mold and we start talking about a different mold, a different uh, target distribution, a guy that you're looking to get massive yak plays out of, get big deep plays out of, well, that's where you're going to want Jalen Waddle's athletic ability because he's going to simply break more tackles than Devonta Smith. He's much better built for the NFL game, and he clearly has better movement skills. Devonta's a great mover, but he's just a great mover. Waddle is is unique. Waddle is, you know, there's one, two of these guys in a class. And so where you fall on them depends on what you need. I think it's it's Bucky Brooks who has the whole build a wide receiver room like a basketball team thing. Somebody has it in NFL media. I can't remember who. Yeah. But you're not going to value Devonta Smith over Jalen Waddle if you're the Chargers and you have Keenan Allen. You're not going to value Devonta Smith over Jalen Waddle, or you're not going to value Waddle over Smith, excuse me, if you have Odell Beckham Jr. because you have Odell and he's your playmaker. So what do you need? Depending on what you need, you're going to draft these guys. And that's the reality of wide receiver classes. Like Anthony said, these classes are getting so, so talented because so many different athletes get poured into a pass-happy college football system. And you develop so many different styles of wide receiver pick your poison right build like a basketball team whatever you don't have go get that you'll be very pleased yeah sorry about that i was choking on my own spit over here (laughs) but another intriguing debate that is uh you know i'm going to be very interested in next year is patrick sutain and sean wade where those two are going to end up especially sean wade especially you know after this past weekend with Jahan Dotson you know that did not look like a very good game for Sean Wade who's transitioning from the slot to the outside so where do you see those two kind of going as of now do you think that game kind of really you know hurts his stock uh next April yeah that Penn State game I mean like I feel poorly for Sean Wade it's your second play game at outside corner Jahan Dotson's not a bad wide receiver by any stretch of the imagination. He's not draft eligible yet, so we don't necessarily have him on the radar. But Jahan Dotson can play. And Wade had, like, pretty good coverage on that touchdown. I mean, he denied the stem. He had upfield leverage. He was looking for the ball. Clifford just put that thing in a, you know, either my guy gets it or nobody gets it spot. And Jahan Dotson said, yeah, I've got three fingers. This is no problem. You know, like, that's sometimes the other guy makes a spectacular play, which is especially the reality of cornerback. I've had Wade as a first rounder since, you know, watching him against Rondell Moore in the slot for Purdue. You know what I mean? Like that, the movement skills, the natural stickiness. And then uh, I think especially the agility at his size, six, one with length is something that you can't not prioritize. You can't downgrade that. And what it could mean if you're able to fully suss him out and fully develop him at the college, at the NFL level, him not getting a, a year of practice at outside corner and then getting tossed into outside corner in this odd year with Jeff Halfley gone. And now Kerry Combs is the, is the defensive coordinator there where he's playing just a ton of true man coverage with not a lot of safety help, not to mention Ohio State's safety room isn't that great this year. Uh, it's not a good situation for development. So I think we're going to continue to see Wade 
give up targets, give up catches. He was great against Nebraska, had the PBU, cover three, really nice route, whatever. We're going to see some give ups. We're going to see some, some, some positive plays. It's not going to look like Sertan, who's just custom built for the Alabama defense and has been starting for two years and is under Saban. And, and that consistency, that stable environment, and the tool set that Sertan brings to it is going to lead to, I think, better film this year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Sertan drafted above Wade. Wouldn't be surprised to see Wade as a fringe first rounder. Wouldn't be surprised to see Wade talked about as a more of a move piece than an outside corner. But at the end of the day, I mean, if this man walks out 6'1", 33-and-a-half-inch arms, and he's running a three-cone sub 6'9", like, what are we talking about here? At, at, at some point, you say, all right, cool, Ohio State, they're the, they're the factory. But even if this guy doesn't look like Jeffrey Okuda, Marshall, and Lattimore have, we still need – to investigate this physical tool set. Yeah, I mean, if he, I mean, that, that athleticism would stand out. I think you'd at least try him at outside corner. I think what I saw, too, everyone wants to talk about the Jahan Dotson three-finger catch, but I saw a handful of times, too, where he's getting beat uh, for clear separated catches. I think the one was a slant and another piece there because he was staying in phase. I think, I think Dotson got away with a little bit of an OPI on that, on that big catch, the one that kind of everyone's 100%. Highlight. OPI I don't, is the best penalty in the world. Do it, it all is. the time. I, I agree. I, I thought that was a bit of an OPI. And Mike Renner, who's not here today, but always says that OPI should get called more often. Receivers get away with it all the time. And I think that was one definitely where I felt like Wade got kind of beat up a little bit. He tried to sell it even, too, which you kind of saw along the sideline. As for Sertan, I, I mean, I think – Big, long, and I think he's a better athlete than what Trayvon Diggs is. And I think that, in Alabama's defense, with how smart that player is, I I see that guy going very highly in this upcoming class. All right, I'm going to pivot to the NFL a little bit here, Solak. And I appreciate the conversation on Wade, because I wrote a piece ahead of the season when you know the Big Ten was originally opting out about Wade being this fringe first-rounder because you kind of almost had to view him as a box safety move piece if he didn't have that experience at outside corner. Now you're seeing it, and some of it is ugly. But like you said, it, the testing's going to be huge for this kid. You, you test well in the combine. Next thing you know, you're going high in the draft. Um, to the NFL, rookie corners and rookie off-ball linebackers, drafted highly and drafted lowly, have not played outstanding this year. Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray, Jordan Brooks have all played significant snaps and not graded particularly well. And at corner, it, it, it's it's a toast factory right now. Jaylen, you know, Jeff Gladney, Cameron Dancer, Trayvon Diggs, Jalen Johnson even giving up reps late in the season. I mean, not late, but now through the season. How much do you think no offseason or abbreviated offseason and no preseason football has played into that? Because my opinion is that linebacker and cornerback have to be two of the hardest positions to trans you know translate from college football to the nfl because you're playing reaction uh, on the defense side of the ball you have to be yes you're a good athlete but you're thinking so much more than you were at the collegiate level i think that's what the linebackers are doing and cornerbacks as well how much do you think that's played a factor yeah right like nate who was the last rookie corner who came out in year one was just like dominant right marshall Lattimore. Lattimore. Right, and then look at Lattimore now. He hasn't been as good since. You know what I mean? Like, but that speaks to the vol- volatility of coverage and outside corner. Like it, you, you, people want to like always like this guy's one of the best corners in the NFL. This guy's great. But even Jair Alexander in 2019 wasn't as good as what he is now. So much of it, so much of it is scheme. So much of it is um, you know who you're going up against and stuff. The volatility of like high end coverage play is legit. Like there's not there's not a ton of like outside corners that even Stephon Gilmore this year has has given up a decent amount in Tredavious White. Man, I went big on the Tredavious White is the second best corner in the league and I have since not said a word about Tredavious White <laughs> because he's not playing that well and that's right that's the PFF refrain it's coverage is more valuable than pass rush but coverage is also a lot harder to get year mm-hmm. over year than pass rushes right I think that this corner class got a lot of juice on it but when I look at my board I had a clear corner one in Jeffrey Akuda who I thought was about as solid as they came and then I liked Fulton Gladney Arnett 
but they were to me end of round one guys. And then after that, I, I was not big on Jalen Johnson. Uh, I, I like CJ Henderson as corner two. Forgive me. I, I had him up there as well, but I was not big on uh, Jalen Johnson, on Noah Igbenogany, on, on Trevon Diggs. These were guys that I, I found worrisome. Hammer Dancer, you're putting these guys out starting in week one, you're not going to like what you see. And, and that's been the reality. It doesn't concern me too much. This offensive explosion of this year, and there's nine different things that people attribute it to. The offseason, and they're not calling holding penalties anymore. And, you know, At the end of the day, the league is skewing more towards offense with every passing year exponentially. At a greater and greater rate, it goes faster and faster towards offense. So corners are going to continue to be screwed, rookie or otherwise. Linebacker, that class last week, you know, last year won that great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I was personally lower on the corner class, but it, it was a, it was a fine class. I don't think anybody was really stoked about the linebacker class. And and you've gotten great play out of Patrick Queen, who was your best true linebacker in that group. Isaiah Simmons, the Cardinals have absolutely no idea what to do with. Which this was the the DefCon Five panic button situation when you were watching Isaiah Simmons as a prospect. It was all right. Brett Venables built a whole defense for this guy. What's going to happen when the defense is not built for him? And the answer is he doesn't know and neither do the Cardinals. Uh, and then, you know, you got Kenneth Murray who's out there just picking up tackles and not covering anybody in Los Angeles. Logan, uh, Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis, Gaither have been uh, a high effort for Cincinnati. We'll say that. I like a little bit of what Davis Gaither is doing, but you know, those guys still need to get their sea legs under him. Jordan Brooks is, is, you know, I think that, there's a nice developmental track there. He's linebacker three right now for, for Seattle. So I think that's okay. I'd like to just see Kansas City give the keys to Willie Gay. Man, just let him run and hit. <laughs> you know, that's what he's good at. So that I didn't think that was a great class. I didn't expect a lot in year one out of those guys. Maybe Patrick Queen's going to be out here winning defensive rookie of the year because he's going to have 120 tackles. But besides that, uh, expectations were low for this group for me, especially after Simmons got drafted to Arizona. I, I think expectations were low for both groups coming out. And also if you combine that with, you know, the COVID impacted season, I think that's been a key factor there. And I think there's still a ton to take from, I think CJ Henderson has played well in bits. Even Jeffrey Akuda this past week played well. Uh, Jalen Johnson's had success. Um, but I think again, I, I, you can't, you can't close the door on any corner, really. Jeff Gladney, Dancer Diggs, as bad as they've been, I still think you need to see these guys develop. You saw Mike McCarthy call Trayvon Diggs one of the four best players on the Dallas Cowboys, which had me chuckle a bit on the Sunday night broadcast uh, last night. I'm going to close with this, Ben. We talked, I, I gave the topics all day here, but who are your rookies that you feel like are exceeding expectations in the NFL? Your guys that are, are really taking it the next step, even beyond what you thought they were coming out. Mm. Michael and Wenu's got to be number one, right? Yes. Michael and Wenu's the best <laughs> player on the Patriots offense right now. Besides Dude, Cam. It, he's doing it at guard. He's doing it at tackle. He looks the part. Uh, it, it's absurd. He's played three separate positions on the offensive line in the past three weeks, which, listen, that sounds like, oh, okay, that's nuts. That's yes. insane. You don't ask veterans to do that. And he's not giving up a pressure at any of the three spots. It's ludicrous. Like that, there's not even any Skarnecchia. You can't even just like point to Dante and be like, this is why. No, it's just Unwendo being humongous and long and great. Um, so I've been very, very impressed with, with what you've gotten out of Unwendo thus far. I think Devon Hamilton's been really good uh, for the, the Jaguars at nose tackle, um, which I, I was suspicious of Javon in terms of what it was going to look like all three downs. And they're rotating him. But he when he's fresh, he's been really, really solid. And I think that's important that they continue to keep him in a rotation, get his conditioning where it needs to be, get his, uh, his pass rush where it needs to be. But he's been impressive. Um, Michael Walker's looked good for Atlanta. I liked him a lot coming out of Fresno. They, you know, oh, Atlanta drafted a safety and are playing a linebacker, and he's good. Everybody is shocked. Like, this is just what they do successfully under Dimitrov and, and under Quinn, at least when that draft pick was made. Um, I'm only talking about late, late guys. Who's an early guy? J.K. Dobbins. Come on. Give him the rock. 
Let him run it. He's been excellent whenever he gets a touch, and then they hand it off to Gus Edwards three times. I want to punch myself in the face. And I like Gus. I don't like Mark Ingram, but Ingram's clearly getting older, longer in the tooth. Dobbins is the fresh legs. He looks so comfortable in that power-heavy scheme. I, I think that, that I, Dobbins was my running back one, and obviously when, when your running back one lands in Baltimore, you're really, really happy. Um, but I think he's been you know a, as expected and above with, with his ability to maximize there. He's got so many explosives under his belt already. So they should they need to make him the mainstay of the running game. I think that's the best way to get that Baltimore offense clicking again. Fantastic stuff, Ben. Always good to have you on the podcast. We'll have to get you on again. Before you jump, uh, tell people where they can find your stuff. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at Benjamin Solak. As Austin said, it's uh, all love. You won't see anything mean ever unless the Eagles are losing to the Dallas Cowboys in primetime, in which case I will get upset. Uh, I do cover the Eagles at bleedinggreennation.com and I'm the uh, senior college football writer at the Draft Network. So hit us up. Ben Solak, always a good guest to have on the podcast. We'll have to get him on again soon. If you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It keeps food on the table. It keeps Mike Renner out of the COVID sickbed. He needs to come back. He needs to recover. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Until next time, two for one drafts. 